understand your site to the T. I think that's very, very important. Just don't depend on the consultants. You need to be involved and engaged and understanding what's happening. You know, what are the chances? When you're going to VCAT, there is no cutting corners. Okay, a lot of people, what they do is they try to cut corners or they try to cut costs and getting cheaper consultants, you know, a second best, you know, there, if you're going, if you're going in, you're going all in or you just don't go in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. Today we're going to talk about taking counsels to the court or tribunal or VCAT. Victorian Consumer Affairs Tribunal, and we'll talk about all of those crazy stuff and the legalese. Before we go into too much detail, let me introduce you to my wonderful co-host, Cheryl. Cheryl Leong. Cheryl, how are you today? Hello. I am awesome. Uh, this, is, this is such an interesting topic because I've only dealt with VCAT once, and I know you've done it a few times. I most of our developments are in New South Wales. So, you know, we've got a, a similar similar sort of tribunal format of VCAT, um, I hear is is quite interesting, particularly in development in Victoria, which is, is not uncommon that a lot of projects go down the VCAT path. So I'm going to be doing lots of questions today. And and so hopefully we can all learn, learn together. So Moss, what is VCAT and what's the purpose of VCAT? Look, ultimately, when you're talking about taking a, a counsel to the court, you are thinking about what you can do with the land and counsel is not at terms of, you know, you're doing an, a development. Now, this could be an underdevelopment or an overdevelopment. It could be either or, right? And so, for example, you want to put, you know, five townhouses on the land and counsel only wants to put two or three. Uh, and of course, your numbers are not working. And so you're quite emotionally driven from a profit point of view, right? And council is thinking more from a neighborhood character, from protecting the suburb, protecting the trees, et cetera, all of those things. And so when you do a breakup with the council as to, okay, the council is not listening or they are about to, you know, grant a refusal letter, not to grant a refusal letter, they've actually refused or, or granted a decision of refusal of uh, a development approval. That is where an option opens up where you can lodge in a complaint or lodge in a case against the council in a tribunal, you know, contesting the decision that the council has made. And that's the first place where you would usually start. And it's, you're right, it's not very common. It's very, very common in Victoria where a lot of developers have to explore that opportunity where a council might have said yes to them in the pre-meeting, but, you know, as you have put up the plans, you know, they might say, look, this doesn't work and, you know, this is not the path that we want to go down. And so it's very, very common and it's very time consuming and it's very emotionally draining as well. A lot of developers get scared of going to VCAT. And so naturally what a developer would do with the first instance is just sell the site and move on, right? And so, you know, they would sell it at a loss or they would sell it at, you know, thinking that, okay, this is the end of it. And there are only a handful or a few who are brave enough to basically go into a tribunal to get this done. And again, I say this brave enough is because you are dealing with an authority. You are going against an authority, against the council. And so there could be a lot of retribution. There could be a lot of fighting 
uh, just not with the council, but also with the neighbors as well, because, you know, they might be there taking you to VCAT. So there are various different reasons a lot of this happens. Yeah. And I can just, just on that point, because it's such a, and I, I don't know what the statutory period is that you need to go through the council before you apply to VCAT. Is is there one? I know in in New South Wales, you know, it has to to pass or surpass a certain time before you can take it to the tribunal. So is there a similar sort of requirement here in Victoria? Definitely there is. And so another thing to consider is getting an external or an experienced town planner and to assist the application in its own independence, in its own merits. A lot of the time people have their own town planners when they're going in uh, to represent even to the council, right? But those town planners may be playing on your side. They might not be playing on an independent side, right? So it's important to get that feedback from a third person saying, hey, can you assess this case and look at the merits of what the council is saying versus look at the merits as to what we are saying. And without taking any sides, can you provide as an honest opinion whether this works, right? And, and usually these town planners are from local councils. We have worked within these councils before or have a lot of experience, you know, in the ECAD, et cetera. So it's always important to get that view of the world. That, ta- that town planner would also give you guidance ensuring that you're following the residential code to a T. Now, it's not just about the residential code, but there are also council rules, you know, that supersedes the residential code or the res code as well. And so, you know, particular councils might have their own regulations or, or precincts, you know, what they call it, in place. And so you need to consider some of those things as well. And that town planner would assist you. Also, the important thing is that you need to look at what your worst case scenario happens. And so what if you lose? What if you don't get what you are asking for? Because VCAT is not a place to negotiate. There is no negotiation at VCAT. VCAT is all about, I'm wanting this and can I get this? And they'll say, yes, you can get it or no, you cannot get it, right? It's not so much about, hey, you cannot get this, but maybe you can try this and we'll approve this. That's not how VCAT operates. VCAT operates on a very yes and no basis, right? And so there is no negotiation per se. There is one step where negotiations do take place and we'll talk about that, which is the compulsory conference, you know, as we go through the case. And so understanding your worst case scenario is always very important, okay? And so based on the worst case scenario, you need to understand what is your best case scenario as well. And what do you want to put it forward? And how do you go around navigating so through some of these things? And we'll talk about this and we, when we discuss uh, my own case of, you know, the most recent VCAT application that, you know, we, we won through. And so again, you know, you don't get multiple opportunities at Tribunal. It's not so much about, hey, I'm going to try this and then I'm going to try this plan and I'm going to try this. You know, that doesn't work. You know, if VCAT says no, then your natural point of uh, going forward is going to the Supreme Court and that's where it basically goes. And so I've never seen a lot of, you know, small scale developers or even mid scale developers going down that route. You know, VCAT is usually the end post where, you know, if you are refused, you're basically back to square one and you're rethinking the whole design or basically coming out because you're too emotionally drained. And so these are some of the key things around uh, making sure that, you know, you know why you're going to tribunal, what sort of best case and worst case scenario looks like on the feasibility side of things. So when we ended up going to the council, of course, the council was not seeing or looking it through the eyes as to what we were looking at. You know, 13 townhouses from their perspective was, you know, really high density, even though it was a 4,000 square meter lot, 
from their perspective, it was way too high density. There was previously a, a subdivision that was done for one into two. And so the, the present owner or the present vendor who was there, they were saving the house at the front and, you know, leaving a 2000 square meter block at the back. And so the council was like, oh, just build one house at the back. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. This would be great. <laughs> and we were like, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. That's not going to work for our numbers. You know, we've got 13 and you've got, just build something at the back now. Yes. And so we were so far away in the process that, you know, there was nothing in the middle, right? And um, the council was a green council. And so from their perspective, no, it's never going to happen. And so we worked with them, you know, they went from two to potentially, I think, four. And they said, look, you know, the block at the back, you can do two there and drop the house at the front and do two there. And that should be, you know, more than enough. And we are like, I don't think that the numbers work there. Our worst case scenario in that regard always was that we would do eight single stories, big houses. You know, that was our worst case scenario. Our best case scenario was 13 double story houses. And so... When we went through the council, did everything, the council adhered to it. They took everything, provided a lot of feedback, kept saying no. They went to advertising and that's where I got the biggest shock of my life. So 69 objections in total. I think 59 or no, 60 objections in total. So I think the whole neighborhood sort of uh, was against us. And they started a Facebook page against us. They had graffiti done with boards in front of the house. They had a small sort of council town hall where people showed up, you know, shouting at our company. And so I was a bit sort of scared as to, okay, this is damaging their reputation. And then they had this local Facebook group where the councillor came out, the local councillor came out and said, we are never going to let this application through. And so there was a lot of negativity around this that they built up. Just the money hungry developers. It's all the what are they called the nim nimbies. Yes, not in my backyard. Not yes, not that's exactly right. Not in my backyard. And so, I think the four key neighbors, and we reached out to these neighbors up front. Like you know, don't get me wrong. You know, we had really good relationship. Even the vendor was like, you know, they're do they're doing the right thing. Don't worry, they're beautiful houses. X, Y, and Z. Um, but the neighbor next door, the neighbor who built the house at the back, brand new house at the back, the neighbor across the road, and there was one neighbor, you know, two streets down. They were like four key ones who were driving a lot of this. And so typically compulsory conference was literally a waste of time because the person who was chairing that meeting was confused because they kept talking about 13. We kept talking about 10. The council didn't have any representation. So the town planner who came in, you know, kept saying, oh, I need to refer back. I need to refer back. So clearly they were not there to make a decision or work through. Funnily enough, the chairman or the person presiding the meeting, he was on our side and he was very biased. He's like, oh, there is a lot of uh, supportive arguments here and there's a lot of precedences around. And so I don't know why the council is being so tough because, you know, they're doing 10 on a 4,000 square meter block. That's almost like 400 square meter land per lot, right? So they're like, you know, how this is not high density, like 400 square meter is a normal land size in Melbourne in today's time, right? But the, the, the interesting is this. So when you exit out of compulsory conference and go to proper court hearings, you don't get the same person to represent you there is a new chairperson that is appointed to you and we are like oh we should have got this person and again the person that they appointed to us in the compulsory conference 
has been known to refuse the most cases in his life. Like he had this charisma that, you know, or he is, uh, how do you say this? Like he was known to refuse a lot more cases than, you know, grant uh, an approval to a lot more cases. And we are like a bit sort of pessimistic about, okay, how is this going to, you know, help us? Who attended the, the final conference? So there were six different people or six or eight different people. So there was council with external town planner. Uh, there were neighbors. There was the chairman himself who was presiding the meeting. And there were our lawyers. There were our consultants like town planner, landscape architect, traffic uh, architect. There was me and my project managers. And then there was our architects who were basically there you know, who had done all the planning drawings and, you know, et cetera, all of those things. And so we were all there uh, as compulsory conference. And so we were not, allow not allowed to talk at all. So we were there basically as the viewers, basically, right? And so it went in for three days and uh, the council's external town planner was really, really good. And, uh, and they were arguing about the neighborhood character, you know, how... There was no footpaths and it was all dirt and it was rural area and the roads were tiny and all of these arguments, which made a lot more sense when you hear it from the other side, right? And you're like, oh man, could they not have told us this before? <laughs> and here I was sitting and after the first day, I still remember asking Talia the question. I was like, Talia, are you sure that we have a good defense against this? Like this, this guy is really good. And she's like, oh, no, no, don't worry. Don't worry. Look, I mean, that's his job. And so he'll do a better job, right? And when our witnesses come in, like the landscape architect comes in and traffic traffic people come in, they get a right to rebuttal, right? So we get a right to rebuttal and they, it's like a proper, um, like a proper code. And so they ask a lot of questions. They throw a lot of curveballs. Uh, and all the three consultants, they did an amazing job. I think our... Town planner was the best and he is known for a lot of this stuff. John Glossop, I want to call him out. He was one of the best. I think he ate council's town planner for the, like, literally, right? And, um, and after the three days ended, I felt a bit relaxed. I thought that we did a really good job. And then the person presiding the meeting, he was supposed to go out there and have a look for himself before he passed on the decision. And basically that's what it ended up happening. He went out there. He went through, you know, whole, all the cases. He took facts into things. He took precedence into things. He wasn't just focused on the rest code, but also took the council codes. And he himself, you know, spent a lot of time understanding the local area and, you know, sticking to the facts, etc., all of those things. And so after almost like two months of, you know, all of this, uh, we finally got the decision in our favor. One more thing that we ended up doing when we went to VCAT is we changed the plans again. So instead of going with 10, we went with eight single stories instead of 10. And that was a conscious decision. That was our worst case scenario in the first instance. But it was still because the prices of the single stories went quite a bit. You know, we thought, well, why do double story now? It just doesn't make sense. You know, we would rather put a case which has a strong chance of winning and it's easier to build, quicker to come out and would start, stand quite well on the valuation side of things. And so that's what we, what we ended up doing. And, and that worked in our favor as well. So while the council was pretty prepared, the neighbors were even more lost because now they were talking about 10 <laughs> and, the, uh, and the person pres uh, presiding was like, well, I can see eight. I don't know what 10 are you talking about? And it's like, no, they had 13 first and then they were cheeky that they did 10 and now they're doing eight. And he's like, well, that doesn't matter. 
um, they're allowed to do that. And so it was some of these little tricks that we played um, in playing through uh, the neighbors as well. Okay. And, and I guess in terms of then, you know, because of the extra time, because you had less, yes, yeah, uh, less yield than you had before, like, how did the, how did the numbers end up? Look, the numbers um, didn't change drastically for us. Um, our, all pro- our overall profitability fell from, so we were making a profit of close to about 2.6 and it fell to about 2.2, 2.3 million. And while there was a drop in the profitability, there was also lower holding cost because of, you know, building double stories versus single stories and quicker turnaround times. And so, you know, we didn't have to build double stories and go through that mess of, you know, building double story houses. And so we were okay with it. You know, there was a lot of money still in the deal. This project is is gone to the bill right now. Um, just to quote out the numbers so that, you know, people can understand this a bit. We are sitting at a GRV of close to about 8.2, 8.3 million. We had a value, we have a valuation of 7.87, which is close to about 7.9. Of course, valuations are coming in short right now. We have a fixed price build at 3.3. We did an acquisition at about 1.9. So 3, 4, 5, 5.3, allowing for an extra cost for 700 for everything else you're still quite significantly far away from, you know, the profits that you are getting versus the cost that you're spending. And that's a, and, and, and did you factor in, obviously, well, you had, sorry, I already asked that question in terms of your feasibility, you'd factored in VCAT and, and time, in which case, in terms of how you structured the acquisition, did you have an extended settlement or had you purchased outright? No, so we had an ex- extended settlement. So we had one year of long settlement in place that we extended to almost 14 months. So there was no holding cost there. And as soon as we settled, we were basically in VCAT pretty much right away. And so, yeah, so that was the six months in VCAT that basically happened. So, yeah, so the project has, you know, instead of delivering it in two years, it's almost now two and a half, three years now. And so that's where it gets a lot more emotionally draining for a lot of people that, you know, while there is big money involved, it's taken a lot of time as well, right? But we know for a fact that, you know, the money is there, it's going okay now. And so hopefully touch wood, you know, we have done two pre-sales, we are looking at six more, we're not going to sell them right now. The intention is to basically build and basically come out of these. The two pre-sales that we did were at 1.1 million, so 2.2 each. Yeah. So while we are ex- our feasibility says 8.2, we could potentially look at 8.8. And so there is an upside at the, at the very end as well that you're not allowing for in a lot of these things. So again, you know, this is growth coming through as well. And so, you know, we clearly articulate whatever development profit versus growth profit looks like on a lot of these circumstances. But again, like a lot of this can be emotionally draining, right? You know, for a person who has never done this before, they'd be like, okay, spending three years on a single project, taking it to build is just way too long, right? Yeah, and having to go to court and then having to go through that whole process of VCAT. I mean, it's it's not a walk in the park. Like You've got to involve a whole lot of different people. It's so, un, you know, it's, it's so unpredictable what the outcome will be. So say it's not for the faint-hearted. 100%, 100%. And look, I mean, uh, I, I make it sound so easy. 
you know, we could make those honest assessments because we have been in the VCAT before. And so, you know, some of these things I could almost predict and project. What I wasn't projecting or expecting was that there would be a three-day hearing instead of a single hearing. Okay, so there's a lot of these things that you don't know as to how extensive would they go. Usually, the council might not have an external representation. They might represent themselves. And so them spending like $20,000 on a town planner means that they are quite serious. It's, uh, it, I mean, it, thank you for sharing that and, and, and that case study and the learnings from that because it is, it is a significant part in consideration for developers, particularly in Victoria, to factor into your feasibility. Again, the, like we said before, the, the time it takes and the cost that it takes as well. So really important, you are working on your feasibility as the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. And at your worst case and your worst case scenario, you still need to be able to make some money after you come out of VCAT. Awesome. Any final words or big takeaways for our audience who are going through potentially considering VCAT? Look, I think understand your site to the T. I think that's very, very important. Just don't depend on the consultants. You need to be involved and engaged in understanding what's happening. You know, what are the chances? When you're going to VCAT, there is no cutting corners. Okay, a lot of people, what they do is they try to cut corners or they try to cut costs in getting cheaper consultants, you know, a second best. You know, if you're going, if you're going in, you're going all in or you just don't go in, right? Because if you're trying to save money at that given point in time, an extra $10,000 for a lawyer could mean you losing the case, right? So it's important that it's, you know, you going to VCAT, it's worth it. It's not just you proving your ego or, you know, patting yourself on the back, you know, celebrating a win. It's about emotionless decision-making, understanding as to why you are going there and what are the best and the worst case scenarios that you can live with. So, yeah, don't try this at home. Maybe let's... No, no, again, not for the faint-hearted and then definitely, preferably not on your first project as well. No, definitely not. 100% definitely not. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Ross. I've learned a few things from there. And um, I said we've only been through VCAT once. It wasn't as extensive as what you've gone gone through. But love to hear our audience that they have been through VCAT if you've had great success from it or even share your experience that you didn't have quite as much success through it. And the more that we, we can share, the more that we learn from each other as well. 100%. And thank you for listening to us. Again, leave the comments, you know, join in our Facebook group. Property Development Australia and Property Investment Australia. Keep sending the love. Keep smiling. Stay safe. Keep investing. This is Sharlene Moss checking out. Adios. Ciao, ciao. Bye.